We're going to start in chapter 4 today, and we're going to look at a section uh, where James talks about the title of our message, How to Avoid Arguments. How to Avoid Arguments. You ready to dig into this topic this morning? I can just make it real simple. Just stop talking to people. Just stop. Just don't talk to people anymore. But you can have arguments without even talking, right? How many of you are married? Some of you say, well... I'm not married anymore, but I know, what this, you know, like I, I know where this goes, right? <laughs> I want to be very careful because if you read this on the surface, we want to be careful with our language. You might think this is a message on how to avoid conflict or how to avoid confrontation. The Bible doesn't teach that it's wise to always avoid conflict and confrontation. In fact, a lot of the way that God teaches us is by confronting us. Jesus himself models confrontation a lot. He confronted his disciples. He confronted Saul on the way to Damascus. This is not a message about how to avoid confrontation or conflict. Some of you might be looking forward to that message. This is a message about how to avoid quarrels and unnecessary arguments that are the result of our desires that are out of control or our pride that needs to be put in place. So this is what it's about. Let's read, let's read it to you, and then, and then we'll talk about what causes arguments and what cures arguments. Here's what James writes to us. What is causing the quarrels and fights among you? So 2,000 years ago, the Christians at that time also had quarrels and fights. He says, don't they really come from the evil desires at war inside of you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and you kill to get it. You're jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it away from them. Yet, you don't have what you really want because... You don't ask God for it. And even when you do ask God for it, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. Isn't that a loaded statement? Let me tell you, just because you know Jesus does not mean you are still driven by what feels right, feels good, and seems right to you. It's one of the broken parts of every single human being. Every single human being is born with this idea that if it feels right, if it feels good, if it seems right to me, then that must be right. And is there anything more potentially offensive, at least for me, one of the most most offensive things about the Bible that I would love to take out, but I can't because it's the truth and I'm not the editor of the Bible. Well, one of the most offensive things to me is is the Bible is telling me that the way that I'm born and what I think is right is not actually right. (laughs) That's very offensive. I don't, how many of you like to be told you're not right? I don't enjoy that. But James says it's one of the roots of quarrels and fights is that we think that we're right when in fact we are not. You adulterers, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. Do you think the scriptures have no meaning? They say that God is passionate, that the spirit he has placed inside of us should be faithful to him, and he gives grace generously. Just as the scriptures in the Old Testament say, then he quotes from the Old Testament, God opposes the proud. You need to let that sink into you this morning. God opposes, becomes the opponent of people driven by pride, but he gives grace to the humble. So, humble yourselves before God, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. Come close to God, and God will come close to you. That's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Come close to God, and he will come close to you. But pastor, I feel so far away from God. I don't feel like I'm hearing his voice. I don't sense his presence. I don't sense his joy. Here's your promise. Come close to God, and 
He will come close to you. Who moves first? You and me do. Understand that if you feel distant from God, it's never him withdrawing from you. It is that you are not moving towards him in whatever form that that needs to be in your life. Let there be, wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Let there be, let there be tears for what you have done. In other words, don't sweep your past mistakes under the, road, under the rug. Let it sink in. Let there be a sense of remorse when we've made mistakes. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he'll lift you up in honor. So much to say here, but we'll keep it in the, in the you could come back to this passage and preach on it every week for the next two years and pull something else out. It's a beautiful thing about the Bible. What they write about in a sentence, we pastors talk about for hours on end. But here's where, he's, where we're talking about this morning, how to avoid arguments. Two questions I hear a lot as a pastor, um, sometimes in the context of marriage, sometimes in the context of parenting, sometimes in the context of work. Why is it we have such major blow-ups over such minor issues? Why is it that, have you ever had someone just absolutely blow up at you and give you a reaction on a scale of nine where what you did was really a one? And you recognize, they're probably not mad at what I did. I was just the straw that broke the camel's back. It happens to me all the time in drive through windows. Sometimes I will just get up to the person serving me at the, at the window and I will ask a simple request and I get a nine of a reaction. And I recognize in that moment, there's a major blow up over what looks like a minor issue, but if you can step back for a second, it may have been people, it may have been their boss, it may have been the person 10 cars in front of me. Somewhere along the line, there is an offense taken and I just happen to be at the wrong place at the right time. Why is it that sometimes, this happens at home sometimes. One of the things I've had to work on real hard in marriage is if I've had a rough day at work or if I'm just fed up with the traffic on the beltway and I finally get home, I walk through the front door, there's easy targets right there for me to vent my frustrations when it wasn't really their fault. And sometimes they're bearing the brunt of my major blow-ups for something they didn't do. Why is it that we have major blow-ups over what seem like minor issues? Another question I'm asked is why do I live with such a constant sense of tension? at home, at work, on other people in my life. In this passage on how to avoid arguments, James gives us both the causes and the cures for arguments. He gives us reasons and he gives us remedies. Here's a beautiful thing. Long before modern psychology came along, okay, James had some profound insights on conflict. He makes it very simple. He asks a question and then he responds with another question. He asks, what is causing the quarrels and the fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? He breaks it down very simply. Here's what James says. Frustrated feelings cause fights. Frustrated feelings cause fights. In fact, it's our big idea for this morning. This is in your notes. You can follow along. You can write down some notes here. The big idea is that anytime, anytime my wants collide with your wants, sparks will fly. Anytime what I want collides with what you want, sparks will fly and arguments will erupt. So at Echo Community Church, we are passionate about being disciples of Jesus and making disciples of Jesus. We are passionate about following Jesus closely in what we say, what we think, and what we do, and helping other people along that same journey. So disciples of Jesus Christ are careful not to elevate our wants above other people. Did you catch that? In other words, you and I are born with some wants and some desires. Many of them in and of themselves are not evil and they're not bad and they're not sinful. 
But the moment that you and I take what we want and we make it more important than other people, I promise you, conflict erupts because if everybody on the face of the earth puts what they want above other people, you're going to have constant collision, constant arguments, constant quarrels. No marriage will survive it. No relationship between mom and son or mom and daughter will survive it. No relationship between boss and employee will survive it. If you live in such a way that you are constantly elevating what you want, what you desire over your sensitivity, your love, and your awareness of the needs of other people, you'll always quarrel, you'll always argue, you'll always have tension, you'll always have conflict. And here's the point James is making. The church should be different than the world. Christians should be living differently than people who are not Christians. Thank you. Thank you, Chris. I do not expect people without Christ to live as though they have Christ. I expect people who don't have a relationship with Jesus at all to live accordingly. I don't expect them to to live a a, a biblically-centered, biblically-morally-driven life if they don't have Christ in it. However, I should expect of myself that if I have a relationship with Jesus Christ, a change is taking place inside of me such that I'm living counter to the culture. And our culture is okay with putting me first. Hashtag me. Watch me. Look at what I drive, how I dress, what I've got. Give me the shine. Christianity says, I love you. I'm concerned about you. And when what I want and what you want collide, I'm willing to humble myself and not turn it into an argument. And what James is saying is that the same arguments and quarrels and tension and tiffs that are destroying marriages, and we can talk about a lot of things from this pulpit, but the Bible also talks about things like biblical marriages, healthy marriages, Not just, the Bible is very clear about defining what a marriage is. It's between a man and a woman. The Old Testament says it. The New Testament says it. I have no news to report. No new news to report there. However, church, our marriages are failing at the same rate as people who don't have Jesus. Hello? Well, pastor, I, I, I want you to be offensive, but not about that. Well, let's talk about that. James is giving us some practical advice Why are our relationships between parent and children just as dysfunctional as the world? We have Jesus Christ, or we should. We have the ability through Jesus to live differently than the way we came out of the womb, driven by our own desires. James gives us practical advice how to put this into place. The big idea, like I said, anytime what I want and what you want collide, you're going to have arguments. See, when what I want and what you want are the same, and we're traveling along parallel tracks, there's not a collision there. It's what what I want and you want are mutually exclusive and they're colliding. Arguments happen. In our house when there is a, a chocolate ice cream sandwich and a vanilla ice cream sandwich left in the refrigerator and Chase and I both want to have an ice cream sandwich. If I say what kind do you want and he says chocolate and I was really craving vanilla, there's no problem. The problem is when we both want the chocolate one. We collide. You see... Arguments can start very early in life. My son was barely three days old before he and I started arguing about things. When what he wanted and what I wanted were colliding. When he wanted to be awake and I wanted to be asleep. When I wanted him to eat and he did not. We argued and argued and argued. You understand you don't even have to be able to talk to argue. Marriage. 
Husbands and wives. Marriage is the gift of God to us, but it can also become a ripe environment for arguments. You're taking two lives that were previously independent and making one out of them. I did not realize I had such strong feelings for inconsequential things until they were challenged in marriage. I had no idea that where the shoes went and whose drawer the socks went in were such big deal until someone wanted to occupy space that had been mine for 21 years. Major blow-ups over minor issues. Someone said to me once, there are three seasons of marriage. Honeymoon? Season number two is the party's over? Season number three is let's make a deal. (laughs) I don't care whether it's marriage, a dating relationship, a deep friendship. The longer you move on in relationships, if they're genuine relationships, there'll be opportunities for arguments because if someone acts like they agree with everything that you say, you don't have a genuine relationship. The deeper that you walk in relationship with people, you will find plenty of opportunities to disagree and where wants collide. Maturity in Christ isn't ignoring the conflicts and the issues. It's humbling ourselves enough to recognize the other person's needs and keep those things in a wise, civil, civil avenue of communication and not elevate them into a quarrel or a divisive argument. So here's what James says. The cause, number one in your notes, the cause. The cause of arguments is conflicting desires. Conflicting desires. When what I want collides with what you want, conflict is the result. Arguments are the result of the collision between my desires and yours. It's only, when we're moving in the same direction, there's no collision. When what we want is moving in opposite directions, they collide. So let's be specific here. What are, what are some of these areas of What are some of these wants? What are some of these desires that you and I need to be aware of? James gives us three of them right here, and they're also elsewhere in the Bible. I'm not saying these are the only three desires, but James makes it pretty clear that every single person in this room right now deals with these three different desires. Now, we don't all deal with them all to the same degree of extreme, but all of us were kind of born with three different, at least three different desires that can get, they have, these desires have pretty ravenous appetites. So let's look at them briefly. What are some of these and just recognize that when you put these desires over other pe- above other people, when any of these three becomes number one, they will cause conflict. So first, letter A, the desire to have. The desire to have. James says we're born with a desire to have, which is not in, in, in and of itself when it's carefully managed and submitted to God, doesn't have to become evil. But you need to recognize you and I were born with a desire to have. James says it this way, you want, what do you want? You don't want what you have. You want what you don't have. Isn't that true? A wealthy man was asked one time, how much is enough? And he said, just a little bit more. Now, I could spend a long time this morning talking to you about how things will fool you into thinking they will satisfy you. But I would just invite you to challenge that statement and find out how true that it really is, or not true. But I would suggest to you that there is no amount of things that if you think that things in and of themselves will satisfy, you're kidding yourself. What wealthy person is satisfied with one house, one car, one... Some of these people have multiple homes, multiple cars. And when they have every car of every model, they're not new enough or old enough. Things... I don't know many people say, you know, I just have enough shoes. I have enough. No, there's always room for more shoes, right? Right, ladies? 
Always, and Bonnie Gardner says, yes, pastor. We build closets in our houses just to display our shoes. I'm not saying that that's a wrong thing. I'm just telling you that there will probably never be enough. You won't just get to the point where, you know what, I, you know, I, have, I have enough to say, unless you submit that desire to God. See, and I, let me just, a word of balance. I've said this before, let me say it again. It's not wrong to have things as long as things don't have you. Because, see, there's some of us that look at people that have things and we think that they're not Christian. You know, I've taught you about this before, too. You know, some of us just live with that poverty mindset. You know, by God, true disciples of Jesus Christ have nothing and proud of it. I ain't got nothing. I don't want nothing. And people have stuff are wrong. The problem is on the other side of the equation where people think people who really follow Jesus are immeasurably wealthy and have all kinds of things and people that live in poverty are wrong. And both of them are wrong. And at the end of the day, God gives us and we're thankful for it. My true wealth comes from my relationship with him, not from my things. But what James says is we want to have things, materialism, possessions. We want what we don't have, and we're jealous of what others have. God created things for us to enjoy, not to serve them. God created things for us to enjoy, not for us to serve them. That's what they're there for. We use things, and we love people. If you're a disciple of Jesus, you use things. And you love people. The problem is when you reverse that equation. You start loving things and using people as an avenue to get the things you want that you don't have. This is where quarrels erupt. This is why 60% of all failed marriages would say that the reason they failed was over money. Over things. Over disagreement about how to appropriate money towards things. And what happens in this sordid equation is that quarrels that erupt when you start valuing your pursuit of things over people. And then when people cannot get in line with delivering you the ability to have the things you want to have, you have quarrels and you have arguments. It's very easy to fall in love with things. And when we fall in love with things, things become a battleground. We've got to desire, we've got to deal with the desire to have things. If you decide to base your life on comparing it to other people, you'll never be happy no matter how much you get. That's what James says. You're jealous of what other people have. Like I told you, when I grew up, we were very poor, but I did not know we were poor until I started comparing it to other people. I thought we were great. We lived in a trailer, all three of us, all three kids in a bedroom. We, <laughs> we had spam for dinner five out of the seven nights of the week, which is why I don't eat much of it anymore. But, you know, it was just how it was. Everything was good. My mom sewed us clothes because that was, you know, we couldn't go buy new clothes. My mom would get fabric at Joanne's. Well, it's mysterious. All my children's picture, my brother, my sister, and I all dressed identically. <laughs> I didn't know that that was a problem. It wasn't a problem until I went to school and kids told me I was poor. And I started comparing what they had to what I had and I was dissatisfied and I developed deep bitterness in my life. Some of the biggest arguments I had with my parents was because they couldn't take me to the store and get clothes and I made them feel horrible because I made them feel that they were being unloving to me because I was dealing with embarrassment over material things in second grade. We've got to get a handle on the desire to have because it will cause quarrels and fights and arguments. Letter B. So we have desire to have. We also have the desire to feel. James says in verse 3, you want only what will give you pleasure. And because of time this morning, I can't go real deep into this. But here's the deal. We all come in the world saying, I want to feel good. I want to feel comfortable. I want to have my senses satisfied. Understand, it is not wrong to enjoy life. 1 Timothy chapter 6 says, God made everything for us to enjoy. 
But when pleasure becomes the number one goal in your life, when you live with a, if it feels good, do it mindset, you are asking for conflict because when your pleasure takes place of what is needful, you're in for trouble. Here's how the desire for pleasure causes conflict, just to summarize. It says, I'm more interested in my comfort than yours. I am more interested in me feeling good about me and me feeling peaceful and me feeling respected and me feeling loved and me feeling attractive than I am interested in you feeling those same things. This desire to feel can become absolutely controlling. I watch relationships disintegrate because both people in the relationship, husband and wife, boyfriend and girlfriend, friend and friend, both parties look to the other one and they accuse them of not delivering them what they need in the relationship. I am miserable, and it's your fault for not making me happy. By God, you should just want to make me happy. Well, how can I make you happy when you're so miserable all the time? And it's just back and forth and back and forth. Well, if you would just hug me. and Well, you're not huggable, and it just goes back and forth and back and forth. What happens is that we become so hyper-focused on what we want and what we need. I learned something early on in marriage. Kendra Nauer cannot live to make Phil Nauer happy. I exonerate her from that responsibility. If I cannot find happiness and joy through my relationship with Jesus Christ, I am making her, I'm setting her up to be God for me, and that is not fair to her. All I can do is work on me. And I've learned this. If I will learn to love Kendra Nauer like Christ loves me, my needs will be met. Because that will unlock in her this feeling of respect and trust so rather than trying to repair the person who caused you the most tension and pain, why don't you do you? Why don't you look at you and say, God, I want to have my needs met in you first. Is it wrong for us to voice what our needs are? No. But at the point where you elevate what you want and what you need to feel over the other person, you are setting yourself up for an argument. And James says to us, this is not the way that disciples ought to conduct themselves. Thirdly, let us see the desire to be. So we have the desire to have, the desire to feel, the desire to be. Now, James goes off on this for about six or seven verses, and he wraps it all up with one word. The desire to be is all about pride. And pride, according to the other places in the Bible, especially in Proverbs, I put in your note. This is a great, if you want to go home and memorize a verse, memorize this one. Four words. We can do it together this morning. We'll set you free in your relationships if you can get this one pride leads to conflict say it with me pride leads to conflict one more time pride leads to conflict says the word of god my pride your pride leads to conflict the desire to be says i want to be one number one i want to be first me first watch me respect me I need to be seen this way. I need to be viewed this way. I will not admit I'm wrong even when I am wrong because I can't have people think I'm wrong even if I am wrong, which I wouldn't be and I wouldn't admit it. Now, I'm a little bit of a throwback in some of my musical tastes. I like some of the crooners from back in the day, not the most moral men in the world. But man, you know, I can get lost for hours. I, I used to collect digitally all of Frank Sinatra's tunes. And it, wow, okay. <laughs> people start cheering, you know. Okay, let's, uh, yeah, okay, wow, okay, we're having church over here on the left because I mentioned Frank Sinatra. 
But is there any more is there any more quintessential expression of pride than his song My Way? 70% of the room is just like googling it right now like Sinatra My Way. It's old 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 music. Back when I had lustrous hair and I could jump 42 inches and dunk I could never dunk a basketball. But he talks about I've had a few regrets in my life, but one thing I didn't regret is I did it my way by God. I did it my way. The whole song is about I did it my way. Not what everybody else said. I did it my way. And it's kind of like his anthem. And is there any more appropriate anthem to encapsulate this human idea that at the end of the day, what we're really striving for is to do it our way? And and James says, opposite is true. He says, that's causing all your problems. You're all trying to think that you know best. You will get in an argument when you run into someone else who also thinks they know best because you can't both know best. James says, Beware of pride. It causes arguments, causes conflict. Why does pride cause arguments? Because I'm too proud to compromise and that causes conflict. Because I'm too proud to give in, I'm too proud to give up, I'm too proud to admit I'm wrong, I'm too proud to do any of those things and it causes prolonged, frustrating arguments. I'll illustrate it this way. When I was little, we, at school we played this game called Mercy. You might have called it Uncle. I don't know where we came up with this idea but it was obviously invented by a bunch of boys. And... Uh, where you would lock hands with another boy and you would have this contest to see you couldn't let go of hands and you tried to put that person in the most pain that you could and the first person who said mercy, first person who said uncle was the loser and the person who didn't give in was the winner. I will tell you, I probably broke every finger in my hand and wrist. I would not humble myself and say mercy. I don't care how bad it hurt. I would be there on the ground half unconscious Teachers trying to revive me with smelling salts. I would, they just, son, just, I can't, I'm not giving in. I'm not even saying the M word. I'm not doing it. I'm not doing Pride in elementary school. This idea, you can't give in. You can't give up. You can't humble yourself. You can't admit you're wrong. You can't admit you lost. It will cause arguments, quarrels, and carpal tunnel in a bad way. We'd rather, James goes a little bit further. He says the other problem with pride is that you will never pray about it because you don't think you need God to intervene in the situation. He says pride is evidence of prayerlessness. When you recognize your dependency upon God and you don't have the answers, you're a person of prayer. When you think you're capable of resolving these things on your own, that pride leads to prayerlessness. And James is saying the reason you're not getting results here is because you don't pray. The reason you're not praying, you don't think you need to. He says the other problem is when you do pray, you have so much pride that you don't ask for God's will to be done. You ask with the wrong motives. You go to God with your wish list and ask him to bless it. God, I pray that you would just deal with my husband today and you would correct him and you would let him know how bad he's being to me. And this, You're just handing God all of your desires on a platter that are corrupt and evil and saying, you know what, I want you to, del- I want you to answer my prayer, but do it in the way that I've already concocted it for you rather than saying, as Jesus said, your will be done. God, I trust you. I humble myself before you. Start with me and fix me first. And help me see clearly enough to then know how to pray for those who I'm in a quarrel and an argument with. James says that when you really, one of the evidences of conquering pride is an increase in your prayer life. Because you have humility enough to say, I don't have all the answers on my own. If you're having a hard time praying, one of the obstacles might be your pride because you just, honest to God, don't think you need to. That's the only reason really why people don't pray. Well, I forgot about it. Well, that's because you don't think you need to. I'm too busy. Then you're too busy. 
prayer is the evidence of a humble heart and it's the avenue by which God works on us so that he can work through us. So here's the cure. Here's what James says. I'll give it to you real briefly. The cure for arguments is a single word. It is humility. Humility. The Bible talks about two different ways we become humble. This is not in your notes. (laughs) Whoever exalts himself will be humbled. Or we can take the remedy, if you humble yourself before the Lord, he will lift you up. God wants us all to be in a posture of humility. We can either assume the posture on our own, or he will help us. Bible says, if you put yourself forward and you exalt yourself, God will humble you. Have you ever had God humble you? That noise you just made, trust me, as someone who has been dealt heaping teaspoons of humility in your life, just when you think you're the stuff, God in his loving way as a father doesn't let us go down that trail too long until you get humbled. For someone who has been dealt heaping teaspoons of humility, take it from me, humble yourself before the Lord and let him lift you up. Don't lift yourself up and wait for God to humble you. This is much more pleasant than this. But he says the solution to this, the cure, is humility. And in the next several verses, he gives us a few short sentences and short statements that I want to leave with you this morning. How do I do that? How do I get to a place where I can resolve and start defusing some of the tension? A, give in to God. Give in. Pastor, that's not in my normal formula for arguments. That is, the, that is the enemy I fight at all costs. Do not give in. Do not give up. Do not admit defeat. Keep good track of everything that's happened over the years to use as ammunition in an argument. No, 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 no. I'm not saying give in to the other person necessarily. I'm saying give in to God. Let God be God in your life. Give him in control. Quit trying to be in charge of everything, including your arguments. Quit trying to manipulate people to get what you want. Give in to God. In verse 1, James says that conflict that happens with other people happens because you have conflict on the inside. You know why you live with so much? If you have, Pastor, I just have so many arguments and quarrels in my life. You know why you do? Because you're at, you're at, you have no peace in your own heart. You are at such turmoil. It tells me if you have peace in your heart, you live more peacefully with other people. When you have turmoil and unrest in here, it comes out everywhere. James says the reason you're having external quarrels is because there's an internal quarrel. The reason you're having wars out here is there's a civil war inside of here. Give in to God when you know his peace, when you know his joy, when you spent time in God's presence in prayer, your relationships begin to change in such a way that you'll find you don't have many arguments, you're less irritable, and when people do collide, it's not as big of a deal as it is when you're irritated on the inside. Give in to God. Humble yourself before God. If you're in charge of your life, then anytime someone comes along and bumps into you the way you want to go, you get upset. You want things to go your way, and when they don't, you get mad. But if God's in charge of your life, that stuff just washes right off you. Colossians 3.15 says, let the peace of Jesus rule in your heart. When you have the peace of Jesus in your heart, then you'll be at peace with other people. You'll find peace when you stop saying, Lord, change Brian. Lord, change Liz. Lord, change, change Karen. You start saying, Lord, change me. Change me. I will tell you, if your marriage is in turmoil this morning, can I invite you to adjust your prayer to say, Lord, change me. Change me. At the end of the day, you can do little to nothing to change him or her. 
except manipulate and pressure and put ultimatums, and sometimes that's part of, the, part of the way that these things go. But you will do well to start by saying, Lord, whatever it is in my heart that needs to change, change me, change me first. And when you're living with, at peace with God, you live at peace with others. So give in to God. Let her be, get wise to Satan. I've preached much about this. You can go back through our podcast. podcast. I preached a message called The Enemy's Playbook a little while ago that talks a lot about this. But let her be, get wise to Satan. James says this, resist the devil and he, he will flee from you. Here's what you need to realize. Satan wants you to have many arguments. It's part of his strategy to derail Christians and disciples. He wants you to fight. He wants you to have arguments. He wants you to quarrel. He does not want you to go home and pray about it. He doesn't want you to humble yourself. He doesn't want you to give in. He doesn't want you to admit that you're wrong. In fact, he'll whisper things in your ears when you're in these moments that will fuel the fire. Jesus says the offensive thing that you do is you give in to God, but there's a defense to arguments too, and you resist the devil. You resist. It's a war term. You actively oppose him. You're aware of what's going on. You're game planning against him. He's given you his playbook. You know he's going to try and get you stirred up. So how does the devil operate? He plays on your pride, especially wounded pride. If you get your pride hurt, he jumps right in and he whispers things in your ear. Like when you're in the middle of an argument, he'll say, you don't have to put up with this. Why don't you fight back? Assert yourself. Find your voice. Show them who's boss. Don't be a doormat. You deserve better. And it fuels us. You need to say, Satan, you need to say, Satan, I know that's you, and I'm not taking the bait. How do you resist him? The same way Jesus did. You quote scripture at him. You store things away in your heart, and when it comes up, you use the Bible. And I will just say this parenthetically. We are Christians. We are disciples. We don't stand on clinical research in and of itself. We don't stand on the latest article. We stand on the Bible first and foremost. So you don't need to memorize a whole bunch of what other people wrote about this. You need to get into your Bible and let it go into your heart. That's what will change you. That's what will change your marriage. Rather than arguing about it, husbands, if you're upset with your wife and how she's not missing, are you getting up in the morning and praying over her and interceding for your wife every day? How about if you got up in the middle of the night, whether she knows or not, you get on your hands and face before you pray pray his blessings on her and change your heart. Why don't you fight for your marriage instead of fighting with your partner? We stand on the word. When you work the word, the word works. And when the enemy comes at you, don't give him the latest and greatest thing you just pulled off of Facebook because somebody posted it. You quote scripture at him. Start with the one we talked pride leads. Start pride leads to conflict. Pride leads to conflict. I'm not taking the bait. Well, how do, Pastor, I don't know any of the Bible. Then, friend, you've got an assignment for the rest of your life. Make it your favorite book. Start somewhere. Start in James. Start in Proverbs. Start in the Gospel of John. Spend time every day reading about it. I will tell you that I don't know anybody who has tasted of the Bible that pushed it away and said, this doesn't work for me. It will draw you in as your life to you. So you need to be able to store those things away. Let her see, grow closer to God. Come close to God and he'll come close to you. How do you avoid arguments? You get closer to God. How do I get closer to God? By reading the Bible, by going to church, always by taking the next step. You get closer to God by taking another step. You say, this is great and I'm close to God, but I'm going to take another step, whatever that looks like. And when I've taken that step, I take it. Discipleship is not an escalator. It's a series of steps. It's taking first steps. It's taking next steps. It's taking big steps. It's always taking a step closer to Jesus Christ. Let me ask you, what next step is God calling you to do in your journey with him? How are you personally going to get closer to God in the next 24 hours? What are you going to do? Do you even know? When you get closer to God and that becomes a priority, arguments and quarrels start to lose some of the control they have in your life. 
The more time I spend alone with God, the better I get along with other people. Count on it. The more time you spend with God. I went home a couple weeks ago, was frustrated with some things, you know, kind of how some things were going, you know, in in our worship environment here with church. I shared with several of you. I went home a week. I sat down with Kendra and Chase. It was a short conversation. My son doesn't have long conversations unless he's in charge of the conversation. Uh, But we sat down together and I said, you know what? I want to ramp up what we do as a family to get closer to God. I'm going to ramp up the way that we pray together. And, you know, every night we gather together and we pray. And again, they're very short. Chase, what do you want me to pray for tonight? Um, I have a scrape. I had a scrape somewhere. And, you know, like all these little random. And, you know, pray for the, you know, for Paw Patrol. That's a cartoon, Chase. We can't pray for that. You know, so it doesn't always sound real great. Every single night we've, we, we, we were praying together individually, but now we're praying together as a family. And I want to tell you something. The spiritual dynamics, there's less arguments. There's less tension. There's all those different things in our own life is changing because it starts at home. If you depend on Sunday morning to be your only spiritual shot in your arm, you'll fail as a Christian. I believe God wants to launch spiritual rebirth all across this campus, all across our city, and it starts at home. I do not rely upon the government to help my children understand you know, what gender they were assigned or how they should get married. You know, the government doesn't legislate those things. We teach our kids these things. God defined it. The reason people live with the outside of Christ is not because the government outlawed something. It's because the church is failing in transforming people's lives through the power of Jesus Christ. And if it's going to change, we're going to do our part on Sunday mornings. But by God, it better happen at home. I, I'm glad I can preach to you every Sunday morning. If my son doesn't know Jesus, I'm failing. I want to encourage you to join me in spiritual renaissance in our homes. Do the things you need to do to draw draw closer to God, and you'll find arguments will fade. Finally, be willing to ask for forgiveness. We just came out of a sermon a couple weeks ago where we talked a lot about this. Here's what James says. Wash your hands, sinners, and purify your hearts. Let there be tears for what you've done. If you truly want to diffuse conflict and end arguments, you have to learn to ask forgiveness for God and from those that you've hurt. In verses 8 and 9, James refers to purifying your hands and purifying your hearts. Our hands refer to our actions. Our hearts refer to our attitudes. What James is saying is clean up your act. Don't minimize what happened. Take it seriously, friends. If you've hurt somebody that's causing an argument, you need to actually be sorry for your self-centeredness. You need to actually be sorry. It's a big deal when that person's feelings are hurt. It might not be a big deal to you, but if they say you've hurt them, then you've hurt them. Take it seriously. If someone says that, ask for their forgiveness. And maybe no big deal to you, but it is to them. Be willing to diffuse things by just simply saying, I'm sorry. You know what will humble you? Tell your three-year-old, you know what, I'm sorry. Man, I had to do that. I had to do that recently when I, I it was one of those days. I, maybe I'm being a little too personal here, but I mean, I mean, I have to let you know the Bible speaks to your pastor too and it speaks to him first and it deals with me all week and then I have to come up and talk to you about it on a Sunday morning. But I w- it was not that long ago. I came home from work. I was frustrated. My son was carrying food in a part of the house that he shouldn't. He was running after me. I was going to change my clothes and he was carrying a drink of stainable liquid and tripped and all everywhere it went and I was not real happy with that moment and I did not handle myself well. And I could tell, you know, your kids have different cries and you recognize Okay, that one's just him wanting attention. That one's he's just not getting his way. That one, the toothpaste is empty. That one, he's hurt physically. This one, he's wounded. And he gave me the wounded cry. And I had to get down on my, I knew immediately what happened. And I blew it. I'm like, he's three. I don't know if he's going to get this. I had to get down on my knee. I look him in the eye. I took his hands. I said, daddy got angry at you. And daddy lost his temper. Daddy, what is temper? Uh, when I find it again, I'll tell you. I lost it. It's gone. <laughs> Temper is playing hide and seek with it. No, it's not playing hide and seek with us. It, 
daddy got angry at you and that wasn't fair. Will you please forgive daddy? He goes, I forgive you. Gave me a big hug. I still had to clean up the drink, but you know, it was okay. You know, you have to be willing. Of course, I tell you the good story and the bad, you know, I try not to tell you. I, the story ended up well, but I, I, I lost it on the front end. But you know what? All of us wrestle with those things. We have those moments where we're not at our best. We're not in the middle of church service and in control of all these things, and it just happens. In those moments, we have to be willing to ask people forgiveness. It kills your pride and it diffuses quarrels. How many arguments in your life right now could be diffused if you just go to that person and not taking more responsibility than you should, but you just said, you know what? I've hurt you, and I'm sorry. Will you please forgive me? That will put you on the road to ending quarrels and arguments in your life. So I'm going to invite our worship team to come. And I want to pray over us this morning. I'm give you a chance to think about what is the next step you need to take today with the message you just heard. Who are you, if there is someone in your life, that you're having regular arguments and quarrels with? Well, pastor, the arguments never really get out of my mouth, but there's arguments going on in my heart and in my imagination. If I had the chance, this is what... I, have you ever fantasized about what you would say if the opportunity presented itself? Some of you have fantasized about how you'd quit. I would just go in and I would do this or that and paint this on the wall. And it, you know, This is like the magma underneath the surface before, the, before that it erupts. What is God inviting you to do with what you just heard this morning? Can we consider that for a moment as we just pause and pray together before our worship team leads us? Let's bow our head and close our eyes. If you're here today, I recognize that you might be thinking, man, I've not been in church for a while, or I'm not really a religious person. I'm spiritually unresolved. I've not really decided for or against God or church or Christianity. But man, if this is what it takes, I don't know if I can do that. I, I want to live with less issues and conflict in my life, but, but I don't know that I could manage all those different things. Here's the thing. Christianity is not about self-management. That's not about fixing yourself. It's not about self-help books. It's about spirit help. Christianity begins by saying, I recognize I am incapable. I am somehow broken. And Christianity, and Jesus comes along and says, but you can be completely whole in me. And it involves us humbling ourselves and saying, I recognize that I need someone to save me and to change me. I recognize that I've fallen short. And I want to be repaired. And I want to have hope. And I want to have new life. And I want to discover who I can be through Christ. If that's you this morning, you say, I'm spiritually unresolved. I want to move in the direction you talked about this morning, Pastor. But I'm not sure I have it within me to do it. I want to pray right now with you. I'm going to lead you in a prayer where you can invite Jesus to come inside of you and to live inside of you. And then you will have everything inside of you through Jesus Christ that you need to be everything that he always imagined that you could be. So if that's you this morning, I want to invite you to pray a simple prayer. You have to pray it. I can't pray it for you, but I can give you an example to follow. A simple prayer that says, Jesus, I believe in you. I have fallen short. I have sinned against you. I believe everything the Bible says about you is true. And I believe you're alive today. Please forgive me for my sins. Come and live inside of me. You are my Lord. You are my Savior. And now I begin my journey of following you as your disciple. In your name I pray, amen. And just 
that simply. All of Christ is yours, and all of you is his. Now, for the rest of us that are here this morning with head bowed and eyes closed, God, change us. Change us so that we can live in such a way that Christianity and knowing you is attractive to a world that is lost without you. That there is something about the change in my life that magnetizes this world and draws people to you. I thank you. That's Solomon. The Mr. Solomon, the facilities director here at Perry Hall High School, felt like today was the day he could bring his own children to our church after eight months of knowing us and check his own children into E-Kids so they can worship with us. He's seen Christians for eight months and has decided there's something about this I want my kids to be involved with. God, keep changing us so that we're capable of living the lives we could not do on our own, but that it draws people into relationship with you because they see a group of people who are broken but who are humble and who are alive through Jesus Christ. Help me end conflicts in my life that just need me to ask, say that I'm sorry, where I need to humble myself, where I need to get some of these desires in control. I put them in submission to you. In your mighty name I pray. Amen.